Today we're starting with our scripture memory passage review. Does anybody have Psalm 145, 1, 2, and 3? Miss Darla is back. We are here. Oh, Sean McGarvey throwing his hat, his hairless hat in the ring. Excellent. Excellent. All right. Anybody else? I'm excited. We have two competitors today. Let's see who can say it the, the, the best. We'll start uh, with Miss Darla. No pressure here at all. I will exalt you, my God, the King. Amen. I praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His understood, his greatness is beyond understanding. Amen. It is, isn't it? Excellent job. Well done, Miss Darla. Good job. Mr. McGarvey. I will extol you, my God, O King. Ooh, with emotion. Oh, we got to roll back. We got to roll back. Here we go. I looked up extol and I'm like, oh man. Yeah, it's a big deal. Yeah. I will extol you, my God, O King, and I will bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and I will praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. Amen. And his greatness is unsearchable. Amen. Well done. <laughs> that was awesome. Good job. So I'm going to break the rules today. You're going to get two for that one because that was just that was pretty cool. So there we go. Awesome. Anybody else with Psalm 145, 1, 2, and 3? Now that you've heard it a couple of times. With oomph. Awesome. Okay. So uh, this is week three of part two of Systematic Theology. So we've done uh, a whole section last year, or earlier this year, and then now we're in the Doctrine of God. The first week in this series was uh, the existence of God. Then last week we looked at the knowability of God. I got several neat comments on that word knowability, so that was good. Uh, and then today we start looking at God's attributes, His character. And, and Grudem spends a long time, and I'm not going to, but he spends a long time putting things and kind of justifying these big categories that he buckets God's character into. Um, and, and I'll just kind of summarize all that with the first green text on your page here. Um, he, he adopts a very commonly used classification, the incommunicable. And that doesn't mean somebody has a disease, okay? Incommunicable. Attributes of God. That is those attributes that God does not share or communicate to others. So these are things that, that we don't have and that to a, to a large degree we can't really relate with that God has as characteristics or as attributes of, of who He is. And then so continuing on, and the communicable attributes of God, those that God shares or communicates uh, with us. And then... So he spends, it's kind of funny because he goes, he spends about a page and a half. This is a 40-page chapter. He spends about a page and a half and he describes how this structure is good and this structure is good. And then he spends about two paragraphs going, yeah, but it's still imperfect. So, and that's what I really like about him is that I'm, I'm leaning toward what we think is a good structure to teach this in. But the reality is everything falls short because we are finite and trying to understand an infinite God. So... Uh, a couple of the things here that, that are, I think everybody's going to understand because uh, everybody's been around kids before. <clears throat> and, and when you have a very small person, right? So like small people like this, this small. Small people this small fundamentally do not understand certain things, right? Okay. Um, so Kelly Joe, how old are your boys? They're four. Okay, so if you went into, so Burlington Coat Factory opened yesterday, their grand opening yesterday, and they had sales yesterday. 
and they had a certain percent off of a certain number for a coat. So you walk in the store and the coat's $65.99 and you want to take 35% off of that. And if you looked at one of the boys and said, take 35% off of $64.99, they could instantly give you the answer, right? Of, no, not even. No way. I mean, they're bright kids, right? Absolutely, they're bright. Wonderful young men. Um, but just not going to understand that, right? And you wouldn't start with the concept of percent. You would start with, well, it's, it's less than what it is, if you had to explain that. So, there you go, exactly. So, you start with where they are and with what they know, right? And slowly build up. And, and sometimes, and, and uh, Grudem uses this kind of a philosophy to help us understand how can we understand this vast God. He starts with what we know and builds out from there. So there's no one passage in the Bible that explains all about God and here's everything you need to know. We, we just we can't understand that. He starts in Genesis and slowly reveals himself, and, and more rapidly in some places and more slowly in other places, all the way through to the end of Revelation. So this concept that God is going to start with what we know and then add on to that. So this is a, this is a process. Um, and then the other the big point here is that God does not... Uh, fully reveal all of his character and all of his attributes fully explained in Scripture. Now, here's what I want to be careful that, that you hear that I'm not saying. I am not saying Scripture is not inspired. I'm not saying Scripture is not exactly what we need. I am saying that those 11 or 12 or 1300 pages in that book that you have in front of you cannot fully exhaustively communicate all there is to know about God. Would, would everybody kind of be okay with that kind of a statement? We're good there? Okay, good. So since that does not fully and exhaustively contain everything that can be known about God, we don't have everything. God does not fully, exhaustively explain himself, which is okay. Because if he did, there's not enough time to go learn it all, right? It just wouldn't be able to be possible. So... So he kind of gives those, that background before we get into this incommunicable attributes of God. So the incommunicable are the things that God does not share. The communicable are the things that God does share. So that's the two, the two big buckets. Today we're going to look at five things that he doesn't share. So the first one up is his independence or his self-existence. So the, this is under the incommunicable attributes of God. Number one is independence. So Grudem's quote here, God does not need us or the rest of creation for anything. Now, for each one of these definitions, there's going to be a comma. And the first part of the definition is where Grudem says, this is what this is. And everything after the comma is, this is how we can help not to misunderstand what I just said. Because when we say the phrase, God does not need us for anything, how does that make you feel? Like, well, what? Hang, hang on. Well, so let's, there's a comma, right? Yet we and the rest of creation can glorify him and bring him joy. Okay, cool. I'm back, right? Here we go. I'm feeling good about this. And this is the big aha moment for me a couple of weeks ago when I read through this chapter was this concept that we're going to get to in just a couple uh, verses. So if you got your Bibles, let's go to Acts chapter 17, uh, verses 24 and 25. So I'm going to give them the tables today, all right? So Acts 17, 24 and 25 here. Job 41:11 here, Psalm 50, 10, 11, and 12 here, Revelation 4:11, John 1:3, 1, 
Psalm 90 verse 2, Exodus 3:14, Isaiah 43:7. Okay? And that, somebody needs to tell me not to look down when I do that next cuz I got really dizzy right there. So I'm going to take a moment. Yep. What verse did I dish out first? Acts. The whole book? That seems a lot, like a lot. Acts what? No, Acts 17, 24, 25. Excellent. Somebody read that out loud for me, nice and loud. Each, person, each table needs to select a reader, by the way, so I'll give you a moment to figure that out. Who's got it? Miss Cheryl, you got it? Here we go. God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth. Who's Lord of heaven and earth? Did it say Cheryl is Lord of heaven and earth? No. It says who? God, God is Lord of heaven and earth. Okay. Now lost my place. I'm sorry. <laughs> Dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither worshipped with men's hands, and though he needed any, as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all so there's a little phrase in there that says he doesn't dwell in temples made with hands. And this should make your brain hurt just a little bit because there's a kind of a big concept in the Old Testament where it really implies that's where God lives, right? Now, we're going to develop this thought here in a little bit, but this, this idea that, that God chose for a very specific time, for a very specific purpose to reveal himself in that holy of holies in a very special way. That did not, however, restrict His presence from all other places in the universe. Does this make sense? You can't put Him all in that little room. He doesn't fit in that little room, and I'm so glad He doesn't fit. Job 41.11, who's got that? Uh, that's our table. <clears throat> Who hath prevented me that I should repay Him? Whatsoever is under the whole heaven is mine. Excellent. So the end of the book of Job, Job and God get to play, uh, actually God gets to play 20 questions. It's more like 100 questions, but um, Job gets to kind of thinking, hey, I can understand this. We've got a good relationship here. I'm going to start asking you some questions. And then God starts asking questions. And really Job very quickly understands that I'm, I'm in way, 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 way over my head. And one of the questions that God asks Job is in verse 11, who has preceded me? which is a great question to think about. So who was around before God was around? Survey says, eh. <laughs> there's no answer there. There is no answer there. He always was. It is beautiful. Psalm 50, verses 11, uh, 10, 11, and 12. Who's got it? Whoa, whoa, whoa. You know, he knows what? Every bird in the mountains. So last week we talked about hairs on the head. And now he knows every bird in the mountains. That seems like a lot to keep up with, right? And somehow this is, oh, that was awful. All right, keep going. I'm going to squirrel a moment here. I know every bird in the mountains and the creatures of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you the world is mine and all that is in it. It is beautiful, isn't it? The world is is his and all that is in it. Now, let's look at Revelation 4.11. Who had that? Dave's got it? Great. You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, and you created all things, and by your will will they, they exist and were created. Excellent. So who helped him with this process? Because he needed a designer, right? He needed somebody to consult 
and make sure we got the colors right and we make sure we got the schedule right and that Saturn spun the way it was supposed to spin and that this galaxy is going to... Who do you consult? You can consult anybody. It's beautiful. All by himself. Thought it up, planned it, executed it flawlessly. Pretty cool. What's the next verse? All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. So just in case we hadn't kind of got this concept nailed down yet, everything that was made was his. Psalm 90, verse 2. Before the mountains were born, before you gave birth to the earth and the world, from eternity to... Think about that concept for just a second. So we have children, right? I'm going to interrupt everybody a whole lot today. It's just the way it's going to work. Thank you. Um, We have children, and we bring children into the world, right? The way God thinks about creation is that he birthed the earth and the mountains. (laughs) That's a different scale, huh? Right? You're like, oh, yeah, I brought that into creation. That's no problem. No big deal. Yeah, it's just just, the way it is. So um, he says, what was the last part of it? From eternity to eternity. From eternity to eternity. So when, when you were doing, my, my daughter is in Algebra 1 and she's in 8th grade and she's doing those uh, graphs where there, you circle a number on the number line and you draw arrows one way and you, like there's a solution for the equations. Some of you are going, don't go there. Yes, it's okay. I'll be quick. Um, and there are some equations where anything you plug into the equation is the answer, right? Any number from as far that way as you can go and any number from as far that way as you can go, they're all right. This, this is that, if you graph this verse, this is what that verse would look like. From everlasting or eternity to everlasting or to eternity, you are God. And then Exodus 3.14, who's got that? Did I go that far? Yes. Who's got it? God said to Moses, I am who I am. I am who I am, which is a ridiculously hard thing to translate. Because it just says, I be. I exist. And the, the way this word is translated is that there's nothing that started the being and there's nothing that ends the being. I just exist. I am. In whatever time frame, inside or outside of time, you want to look at, I am. I am what? This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Isn't that beautiful? It's, it's like the story of the Bible right there. I am has sent me to you. God has sent God to us. It's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. Now, so, so the first part of that definition was God does not need us or the rest of creation for anything, yet we and the rest of creation can glorify him and bring him joy. So the next blank is that we are, in fact, very meaningful because God has created us and he has determined that we would be meaningful to him. Now, how many of you have ever bought anything for your home? Good. How many of you ever bought junk for your home? You knew it was junk when you bought it, but you needed it for something, and it was just for like one thing, and boom, that was it. Okay? How many of you ever bought something that was extraordinarily valuable that you knew you had to invest well so that this thing would last and perform well? What, what, what kind of things would fall into that category? Like your HVAC system, right? We, we don't want to go too chintzy on the HVAC because we really would like that thing to work, okay? Um, but what else? What's that? Vehicles. Your vehicles. That, that would be nice, right, to have something that works. What else? What's that? 
A roof, yes, right? You don't go to Lowe's and say, what is the cheapest option that I can put on top of my house? Like, I mean, like literally, do you have some, do you have some two-ply toilet paper? We can just wrap the whole thing in and we're good, right? No, we, there's some things that are... Duct tape. Duct tape. And Would that, <laughs> that wouldn't work. No, 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 okay. All right, all right. I had to think about that for a second. <laughs> she's, she's angry. She's like, if you get up on the house this afternoon, then... <laughs> Could make shingles out of the caulk? No, you can't, because it eventually contracts. I know that, because I've used so much of it. So. <laughs> there you go. That's good. So this idea that things have meaning because of the one who is using it, right? Because of the one who is using it. God says that we have meaning because he gets glory from us. Is that awesome or what? So whenever you think that you have no self-value, no self-worth, no significance, no meaning, God made you to glorify Him. We intrinsically have purpose and meaning in our lives because of our Creator. And when you take the Creator out of that equation, life has no meaning whatsoever. This is why God has to be the start and end of all things. Because when you take him out, life is futile and hopeless. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. This is why we have meaning. So, let's keep going. We're going to skip a couple things because I'm already behind. Number two, his unchangeableness. Another word for this is immutability. I didn't make you spell that, so you're welcome. So, the definition here, God is unchanging, that's your blank, in his being, perfections, purposes, and promises. Yet God, yet God does act and feel emotions, and he acts and feels differently in response to different situations. So a couple things here. Uh, let's do Psalm 102, 25, 26, and 27. Uh, Malachi 3, 6. James 1, 17. Psalm 33... Oh, thank you very much. Psalm 33, 11. Isaiah 46, 9, 10, and 11. Numbers 23, 19. Okay? You guys there? Thank you. Now I'm thinking about it. Psalm 102, 25, 26, and 27. Psalm's in the middle of the Bible. Kind of in the middle generally. Sarcastic Sunday school teachers... It's not a good thing. Yeah. Who's got it? All right, I'll do it. Go for it. Of old, you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will endure. Yes, they will all grow old like a garment. Like a cloak, you will change them, and they will be changed. But you are the same. There we go. Your years will have no end. Now, <clears throat> some of us, when we read verses like this, are going, I'm thankful that my years in this body will have an end. I am. I really am. Uh, because I, I, don't, I would not want all of eternity to be broken and uh, injured and hurt like this. This will come to an end, and it will get better. 
and the God who designed the universe has no end. It is absolutely stunning. So what do we have? Malachi 3, 6. I am the Lord and I do not change. That is why you descendants of Jacob are not already destroyed. And that is good for us. Because if God was wishy-washy and changed a lot, he might change his mind about us as a human race. Thanks, God, for not changing your mind about us as a human race, right? Sounds like one of those awful insurance commercials. Who's got the next one? James 1.17. No variableness or shadow of turning. That word is for the, uh, the idea for the planets. Um, the, the Greeks looked up at the planets and they called them wandering stars because they moved around in the sky in strange ways. And this, is said, this, this word basically says God is not a planet that he would wander around and move in erratic ways. It's not the way he works. Um, so the next blank here, God is unchanging only in ways that Scripture itself affirms. Now, we have a really hard time with this concept. I'm going to put all of us in this bucket, okay? And if you're not in this bucket, then cool. I'm glad you've got this figured out. But we have a really hard time figuring out how God can like, change his mind on things, but he can't really change. Has anybody else ever struggled with this one? Okay, good. Um, scripture restricts the things that God can change about, which is great. And the only things that God can change are the things that Scripture says that God can change. Does this make sense? Who has the next verse? What's the next verse? Uh, Psalm 33.11. Psalm 33.11. The counsel of the Lord stands forever, the plans of His heart to all generations. So the counsel of the Lord stands forever. Who's got the next one? Isaiah 46, 9, 10, and 11. Amen to that, right? I have said I will do it, I will do it. Numbers 23, 19. God is not a man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not fulfill it? Amen. So, these verses clearly state that there are some things that God will never change his mind about, right? His, what did it say? His counsel, his purposes... Um, his decisions, these things are going to occur. And there are scenarios in Scripture, we know, where God says, I will give you a choice. And if you choose this, this will be the result. And if you choose this, this will be the result. And He responds accordingly to our choices at times. So He decides that He will do certain things and He decides that He will respond certain ways. And both of those are wholly consistent with who he is. And it is incredibly difficult to understand at times, but that is okay because he is God. We are never going to fully understand him. Now, the question I have for you is if God's nature, if his characters, if his attributes could fundamentally change, would that be a good thing or would that be a bad thing? So let's talk about that for just a second. Who thinks it'd be a good thing? Who thinks it'd be a bad thing? 
Who thinks I'm setting them up? Yes, a little bit. Excellent. Good answer. Um, if God could change, if His fundamental nature could change, would you agree that it would either have to get better or worse? Okay, it's got to do one of the two, right? It's got to get better or worse. So if it got better, that would mean that God is not good as He could be. So that's a problem, right? So now, now we've insulted God and said, you're not as good as you could be. If His nature could get worse... Does anybody want to finish that sentence? That's just terrifying, right? He would be like us. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And that made all of us tremor just a little bit, right? I mean, that is truly terrifying. So uh, first big number one is independence. Second is unchangeableness. Number three is eternity. Here's the definition. God has no beginning, end, or succession of moments in his own being And he sees all time equally vividly, yet God sees events in time and acts in time. This is the most convoluted definition I've ever read uh, for this word, but I'm going to go with what Grudem says here because he he parses out each individual phrase and explains it in the text. So we'll start here at the center table. So we'll go Psalm 90, verse 2, Revelation 1, 8. Sean, your table, Exodus 3, 14. In the back, Psalm 90, verse 4. We're going to skip Julie because she'll shoot me. Second uh, Peter 3, 8 in the corner. Right? Okay. See, I'm just... Validation here. It's okay. Uh, what did I just give you guys? Second Peter 3, 8. Okay. Galatians 4, 4 and 5. And then up here, Acts 17, verses 30 and 31. You get homework in this class. It's good stuff. It's in-class assignments, though, so it's all right. Did I skip you guys or did I start with you guys? I started. Good. Okay. What verse did I give you? 90 verse 2. Let's read 90 verse 2. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever thou hast formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting thou art God. He is God. So God is timeless. He is timeless. He is timeless. He is God. What's the next one? Revelation 1 8. And the Alpha and the Omega. And Alpha means what? Beginning. The start and Omega means what? Beginning. It's not fatty acids, it's the end. Okay? So I'm the Alpha and Omega. Said the Lord God, he, he who is, He who was, and He who is to come. The Almighty. The Almighty. I love the article in front of Almighty because there ain't but one. Exodus 3.14. I think we just read this and we'll read it again. It's very good. Excellent. So God himself, we understand, he is eternally existent. Now, let's look at how he sees time. Okay, this is God's perspective on time. Next verse is uh, Psalm 90, verse 4. A thousand years in your sight are like a day that's just gone by, like a watch in the night. Anybody know what a watch in the night is? Yeah, it's a, it's a, depending upon which... Uh, kingdom, the, the portion of the text was written, and it's either a three or a four hour period. So a thousand years is like four hours. Four hours from now, I'll be eating lunch. I promise you, it will not feel like a thousand years between now and then. I, I cannot begin to fathom how a thousand years can, it's just, this is just almost no time whatsoever. 
Right? What's the next verse say? Second Peter three eight. So if you needed a New Testament reference to believe it, there's your New Testament reference to believe it, right? So God created time, and He is Lord over time. If He wants to hit pause, He can hit pause. If He wants to hit fast forward, He can hit fast forward. If He wants to stop the tape, eject... I mean, I'm going to VCR on you. If He wants to stop the tape, <laughs> eject it, and throw it away and start completely new, He can do that too. That is fine. He created time. It is under His domain, in His control, just like everything else in the universe is. It's beautiful. Now, in that, he can see events now, historically, or in the future, and act appropriately. So let's look at Galatians 4, 4 and 5. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. When did he make that decision? Right. He, he decided to act on that decision when it was the right time. Now, when did he... So, so that's one question, and you answered a different one. So when did he make the decision on when he was going to insert Jesus into the world? It, before the time began, right? I mean, he had all this specked out before he said, let there be light. This was not a, oh, you know what? We need a plan. Eve and Adam, they have messed up. I've got to go. Let's consult the manual. I mean, what does God do now, right? We've got to go figure out a plan. Let's get the Holy Spirit and Jesus and the Father together, and we'll do a team huddle and figure out something. And No, 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 no. All of that had a solution before man even knew there was a problem. It's absolutely beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. So God can insert himself. He can wait on events to fully develop. And that's what the story of the Bible is, right? The unfolding, the unveiling of God until we get to the very end, the last book, and Jesus Christ himself is revealed as God in that godlike environment, in that godlike display of his power. It is the unfolding and unveiling of, of God himself, that story. So who's got Acts 17, 30, and 31? God tolerated man's past ignorance about these things. Ooh, I like that. everyone to put away idols and worship only him. For he has set a day for justly judging the world by the man he has So he has set a what? He has set a day. There is a day that God knows when he is going to go insert himself again into time and begin to fix things. <laughs> okay, so you know how in a math textbook they have problems in the middle of the book and in the back of the book there's the answers? In, in, the, ba in the back of the book there's a date written. He already knows what the date is. He's not sitting around going, you know what? I think I'll give him two more weeks. You know, this was a, he had a pretty good week. We'll give him another week. Absolutely. No, no, no. We know what that date is. That, that, ain't, that problem is solved. We're just waiting on him to execute it. So big number four, his omnipresence. His omnipresence. Here's a definition. God does not have size or spatial dimensions and is present at every point of space with his whole being, yet God acts differently in different places. I'm going to start picking up the pace a little bit here, okay? Let's look at uh, Psalm 139, 7, 8, 9, and 10. Everybody flip over there for me. Psalm 139, 7, 8, 9, and 10.
Who writes Psalm 139? David. David writes Psalm 139. Had David ever had periods where he ran from God? David ever had periods where he ran from man? Yeah, great big chunks of his life. I mean, massive chunks of his life were spent in caves. You just, you're like, I want to be like David. Probably not, really, you know, unless you like splunking. Um, Psalm 139, 7, 8, 9, 10. Where can I go from your spirit, or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in hell, you're there. Now, this causes a lot of people really, like, their brain to hurt. So we'll talk about this. If I take the wings of the morning, what does that mean? Almost sounds like he's flying, right? If I'm up like where the, where the bird is, okay? And dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, or if I'm underwater. Heaven, hell, in the sky, underwater. I think we've covered them, right? Okay? Even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. God is present everywhere. Now, while he is present everywhere, he acts differently based on that location. Would you agree that God engages people differently in heaven than he does here on the earth? Based on what you know about what the scripture says, pretty much, right? Okay. Would you agree that God engages people differently in hell than he does in heaven? Yes. Do you think God is aware of what is going on in hell? That's an easy question, right? Sure he does, right? He's aware of all things. Great. So how can he be aware and there but not have a relationship with those that are there? He does, right? Because what is hell? At, at, its, at its most fundamental, it is not fire and darkness. At its most fundamental, it is separation from a relationship with God, right? So... So he can be present in a non-relationship way. And this should scare us to death. Because have you ever had periods of time where you're walking through life and you go, you know, I don't, I think I have withdrawn myself from God and I'm not as close as I ought to be. Everybody ever had that phrase pop through your head? Um, That's right. And that's always going to be because of our decisions and our actions and our sin. Always on us. So, let me keep going real quick. <clears throat> I think you guys understand, and there's several verses here, that God does not have spatial dimensions. He's not uh, 7 foot 2, 221. You know, it's, that's it's not how he functions. Um, I do want to read this, this uh, phrase real quick, this uh, quote from Grudem. It's not in your notes. Before God created the universe, there was no matter or material, so there was no space either. Okay? So, that we have a hard time envisioning nothing but there was nothing that we could exist in. Yet God still existed. So where was God? He was not in a place that we could call a where. Because there was no where. Right? Does this make sense? But God still was. That, this fact makes us realize that God relates to space in a far different way than we do or than any created thing does. He exists as a kind of being that is far different and far greater than we can imagine. He can exist outside of space and time. How many of your heads hurt? My head's been hurting for three weeks on this. 
He created it. He can engage with it however he wants. That's the best I can do on that one. So, a couple more things. We do not believe in pantheism, though. Pantheism is that everything is God. God exists everywhere, so God is this chair, and God is this table, and God is this book, and God is that paper. No, 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 no. That is not true. This is vastly untrue. The biblical perspective is rather that God is present everywhere in in His creation, but that He is also distinct from His creation. He is distinct from His creation. Next blank. Although the Bible can speak of God as being present everywhere, when the Bible says that God is present, it usually means present to bless. So when we think about God with us, that is a positive or a negative? That's a positive. And generally speaking, when God shows up in the Scripture, generally speaking, to His own, generally speaking, is that a positive or is that a negative? It's generally a positive. God's presence is associated with blessing, with something positive. All right, so let's keep going. Number five, unity. God is not divided into parts. God is not divided into parts, yet we see different attributes of God emphasized at different times. Grudem draws a whole series of pictures in his book to try to describe what this looks like and what this doesn't look like. And the first one he starts off with are all these circles. And each one of these circles has one of God's attributes in it. And he mashes them all together so they're all touching. And that is not God. God is not the collection of his attributes. Neither is God a circle with little bitty circles on the outside So God exists, and then all these attributes are just kind of bolted on to God. That's not how this exists either. Each one of these attributes is completely and wholly true and exists with the others in a way that is unified. Now, we, remember how we started? We started with the 35% of 64.99, right? And those are the same numbers, weren't they? Yes, they were. We start with what we know and we build on that, right? So God does not try to explain the whole unified view of himself with all the attributes fully in play and engaging as they should at once to us because our minds would break, right? This would be frustrating. We would not understand this. So he breaks these things up so that we can clearly see that God is love, so that we can clearly see that God is holy, so that we can clearly see God is light, so that we can clearly see God is truth, so that we can clearly see these different things individually so that we can partially wrap our heads around them and then hopefully see that somehow or another all this works together as part of who he is. Does that make sense? So I am thankful that he breaks this up, otherwise we would never even be able to scratch the surface of understanding who he is. So, uh, <clears throat> my conclusion, I don't think I put this in the bottom, did I? No. My conclusion, he, he goes through like 10 different pictures in the book. And my conclusion was stop drawing pictures about God. So, that was my conclusion this week after I drew a picture about God last week, which is kind of sad, but it is what it is. So, uh, the questions for reflection, <clears throat> for personal application... I would strongly encourage you that you soak on these this week. These are really, really good. Some weeks he's kind of, that's okay. Some weeks these are very, very good. Strongly encourage you to do that. The scripture passage for next week is down there as well. And then uh, I missed it last week because we ran out of time, but the hymn for this week is Immortal, Invisible, God, Only Wise. So I'm going to read through this one. Some of you may have sung this growing up in churches. 
immortal, invisible, God only wise, in light inaccessible, hid from our eyes, most blessed, most glorious, the ancient of days, almighty, victorious, thy great name we praise, unresting, unhasting, and silent as light, nor wanting, nor wasting, thou rulest in might. Thy justice like mountains high soaring above, thy clouds which are fountains of goodness and love. Great Father of glory, pure Father of light, thine angels adore thee, all veiling their sight. All praise we would render, O help us to see, tis only the splendor of light hideth thee. Amen. So, at your tables... Don't forget, at the bottom of that piece of paper is a scripture memory passage. I've got stuff to give away next week. I'm going to go to Lifeway this week and restock because some of this is kind of old, so we'll get new stuff. Um, and if you can say those verses at the beginning of next week, there's a prize in Sunday school. So we'll go. It works, so I'm working it. Uh, and then on your tables is a piece of paper that's got prayer requests. If you've got a prayer request that's kind of a short-term request, you can put it up toward the top. If you've got a long-term request that you want us to keep praying for each week, put it down at the bottom. Uh, and then on the right-hand side are the requests that are, are ongoing for our class. So if you'll uh, pay attention to those, pray as a group, and uh, you are dismissed after you pray. Thanks for coming today, guys.